With me this morning is Dr. Sushim Gupta. Dr. Gupta, along with his colleague, Dr. James Warner, have published an editorial in this November's edition of the British Journal of Psychiatry entitled Alcohol-Related Dementia, a 21st Century Silent Epidemic? With a question mark. Sushim, thank you for joining us this morning to talk about this paper. Thank you. I wonder if I could start out very simply by asking you, what's the main argument of your editorial? Well, um, what we've noticed recently is there's a lot of... uh, public and political and media interest in you know the effects of drinking much of it is about the acute problems with drinking binge drinking mm. violence related to that and also the use of acute medical you know time and resources but there seems to be very little on alcohol in the uh, alcohol related dementia and uh, we thought it would be a great opportunity to look into this matter especially with the escalation in drinking mm. In, in the population over the last 20 to yes. 40 years. That's interesting. I notice in the introduction to your article, you refer to the government's um, harm strategy, the harm reduction strategy for England and Wales, and that actually omits the concept of alcohol dementia as a concept. It warns about lots of other things, but not dementia. Why do you think the omission? I think there are a number of factors. First of all, I mean, again, uh, I think when resources are tight, people look at more acute things to... Mm. Uh, and, you know, look at the acute sequelae and the effects on the acute services. And also it's quite difficult to, I think, talk about things where, where there's a lag period between the events and the outcome. Something that I think the sm- smoking, uh, cigarettes and smoking had faced in the past. You mean to say if there isn't a clear connection between the cause and the effect, people aren't interested? Yeah, and it's very difficult to teach people, mm. you, know, make, you know, in public awareness. And uh, that is something I think that has held people back. And also, whenever there's an older people's problem, mm. it tends to get uh, brushed under the carpet. Yes, I was, going, I was going to ask you that. Ageism perhaps is a factor here. I noticed you also mentioned in the early part of the paper that the willingness to look for and diagnose alcohol-related problems in the elderly is probably underreported or underestimated. Why do you think that is? Again, a number of factors. I think it's a bit about social attitude towards drinking and towards the elderly. Sometimes I think often the clinicians are unaware or find it difficult to even ask people, older people, how much they're drinking. Mm. And it's still quite a taboo, and uh, older people are less likely to maybe volunteer how much they're really drinking. So there's this silent group of people who might be drinking quite a lot. That's interesting. And one other point is that there's very poor screening tools for the elderly, you know, specifically for the elderly. There are lots of um, things like MAST, mm. you know, which MAST. has been used for the adults. That's the Michigan Alcoholism Screening Test, that's isn't right. it? Yes. But, you know, it, there is a geriatric mm. version, but that's hardly used. Really? So there are actually tools that have been refined for drinking studies in the older group, in, yes. the, in the older section? but there's still a lot of scope for... Uh, improvement. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. How would you might go about modifying one of these instruments? I mean, the mask is a pretty standard instrument. How on earth would you go about modifying the questions in the mask for an older age group? Most of the time, uh, these instruments look at how, how much a person's drinking at mm. one point, often asking people about how long they have been drinking and, you know, and also whether they understand the effect of the drinking over a longer period of time can be quite useful. More broadly, is there a good body of evidence for epidemiological information about drinking patterns in the elderly? Do we know how much they're drinking compared to, say, their younger counterparts? Uh, there have been some studies, but it's really quite... Uh, they're not really of very good standard. We couldn't find any that would say 
Latino pe people over the age of 65, this percentage is drinking quite heavily. So that's a useful question to ask for yes, any budding absolutely. researcher who may be listening, perhaps. Yes, mm. absolutely. Moving on then, away from these issues and to perhaps the more direct impact of alcohol on the brain. You've observed in your editorial that the effect of the brain, the effect of alcohol, sorry, on the brain is a very, very complicated one, but I wonder, what is the actual evidence that alcohol per se causes dementia in that simplistic cause and effect way? Yeah, it is quite complicated, but I mean, I'm looking from a very basic basic sciences, biomedical uh, view, I mean, mm. we know alcohol is neurotoxic to the brain, and uh, over a period of time it can cause struct structural changes. I mean, By neurotoxic you mean to say that high levels of ethyl alcohol, you know, the area under the graph over time, lead to direct neuronal damage, you mean? Yes, absolutely, and then can cause, I mean, intracellular damage, like yes. micro mitochondrial damage, mm. and this can lead to a cell death. Can, can you say more run. about the, the possible mechanisms in that? Right. Um, it's quite interesting. I mean, there's a balance. I mean, there's almost a protective effect of alcohol, mm. which has been uh, you know, investigated mm. and it's in the media. Of course, that's the uh, famous low J-shaped curve. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, the Rotterdam study and all that. So the balance is between the beneficial effects and the mm. harmful effects. And it's a dose-dependent curve. So initially, the protective effects are higher. Mm -hmm. So that might lead to increased high-density lipoprotein and lower cholesterol yep. levels, which can have a cardioprotective effect, can make platelet, uh, you know, platelets and uh, more mm. uh, easy, uh, less sticky. Yes. This, and uh, it can have antioxidant effects, both from alcohol itself and from non-alcohol right. components. So these are neurovascular mechanisms you're talking That's about. That's right. Yeah. But what about, I mean... It's well established, isn't it, that the chronic alcohol exposure can cause direct effect upon the, the very precious balance between GABA, you know, the down-regulating and the up-regulating amino acids such as um, glutamate. And there's a kind of, you refer in your paper to the idea of hyper-excitability as a cause of cell death. That's I mean, right. It, the, the cells can get over-excited yeah. in other ways, and so that could be toxic to the cells. Mm. And it affects the uh, uh, you know, glutamate system Indeed. and also reduces the... You know, because the I think disruptions of the glutamate system have been implicated in kindling, haven't they? The, yeah. the progressive, as it were, the avalanche of progress. That's right, and with repeated repeated withdrawals I mean, mm. this can get worse over a period of time and right. this can contribute to the cell uh, to the brain damage so this is all very well we've got this phenomenal body of information that relates to what this chemical does to this you know dollop of neural tissue in a petri dish but can i ask how does that translate to the clinical world or put another way perhaps is it possible to identify a reliable clinical syndrome that you might call alcohol related dementia this is quite uh, the the classification system is quite uh, important and that's actually quite difficult. DSM four, if you don't mind me saying, so it looks a bit of a dog's breakfast of classification. Uh, absolutely, but I mean they made an effort, I think, to try and separate it from the Wernicke Korsakoff mm. syndrome. But again, it kind of it is quite nebulous, and you don't know whether it's uh, mm. you know repeated subclinical uh, Wernicke's Korsakoffs or uh, you know or alcohol other alcohol damages. But Oslin tried to separate that and make it. May give it a more classical um, definition. That's how, the, how Oslin's did, criteria. How did Oslin go about trying to make that separation? He 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 was very clear from the beginning that this is not Wernicke's mm. and this is alcohol-related dementia. So you mean he used psychometry that excluded an amnesic that, syndrome? That's right. right. And yes. looking into longer-term drinking, the effect mm. of the drinking, and uh, this has been quite useful because he validated it later on, and this is 
providing us with more use and useful tool for further research because prior to that much of the research was quite murky because people didn't exactly know what they were looking for and or how they would separate uh, you know the more amnestic right so, because it's a bit of a spectrum of course very much so and with spectrums of course you don't find straight lines and clear demarcating categories absolutely do you? yes Coming, well, staying with this clinical line, or rather this notion of the relationship between our laboratory findings and our clinical findings, I couldn't help but notice that the effects of alcohol on the brain do seem quite regionalised. You talk, for example, about damage of some neuronal populations more than others, frontal structures, cerebellar structures, pathalamic structures, and relative sparing of subcortical structures. That's right. Would you therefore expect the clinical syndrome of alcohol-related dementia, if indeed there is one, to have perhaps in a, a PIC-type frontotemporal distribution? Well, there is definitely more hypofrontality, mm. and that, that is generally observed. And uh, what is important is to remember that whether we can tease out, differentiate it from a more vascular picture yes. or a more... Alzheimer's picture. Although, of course, heavy, average heavy drinker tends to smoke and live a very is it, vasculotoxic lifestyle. Absolutely, and there's a great overlap, especially with vascular dementia. But I think, you know, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of mixed dementia mm. around, but some people do drink and they do have alcohol-related dementia, and the, their syndrome can be slightly different from Alzheimer's. Yes. And it's important because uh, this is something that could be stemmed, that could be either prevented from if, treated, mm. you know, from an, if looked into from an earlier uh, yes. period, or it could be reversed with Indeed. abstention. I was going to come to that, because I couldn't help but notice sort of a, a little stream of optimism wandering through the editorial, but particularly this idea of reversibility. I mean, parenchymatous brain disease almost universally is seen as a pretty pessimistic no-hope diagnosis, Absolutely. even with the availability of some of the more modern um, you know, memory-enhancing drugs, the anticholinesterase inhibiting drugs. We still do, on the whole, tend to associate... Alzheimer's particularly, with these tragic notions of irrevocable loss. But uh, what you're saying is quite the opposite, that we can actually stop it and haul you back. Yeah, I mean, th th that is probably the main message in, uh, from this article, that you know, if we identify, if we keep our minds open and we identify people who are drinking mm. and might be presenting with a dementing picture, mm. then we might be able to do something about it. I see. Okay. You say that's one of the main messages. I couldn't help but thinking that one of the other main messages is that there's going to be an epidemic coming this way soon, which is, of course, everyone <laughs> loves a good epidemic, don't they? Don't we? <laughs> but, um, I mean, do you honestly seriously feel that um, we are actually, you know, staring into the abyss, that tomorrow the streets will be full of demented ex-alcoholics on Zimmer frames? Yeah, so that's, the, that's the dream I had last <laughs> night, or shall we say the nightmare? No, I mean, I think this is where the reviewers uh, have a hand, because we start started by calling this article Show Me the Way Home an <laughs> old song from the early yes. 20th century one of James's um, yes. uh, little an old Irish edition. drinking song probably. yes yeah, and that's the only thing the three reviewers had in common they hated the title so we came up with the silent epidemic well it certainly caught the eye of the editor of the British Journal of Psychiatry well, and, yeah, you're right on the front page you, uh, the advantage of, uh, of uh, sometimes having you know something slightly flashy is mm. It makes people sit up and think. 
I mean, if we can look at the SARS epidemic, of course. we were expecting half the population of the yeah. universe, you know, the planet to be dead by now. But, I mean, uh, at the risk of sounding unduly cautious, do you not think that we might also, by predicting an epidemic, be, um, as it were, pandering to the slightly sensationalist whims that we sometimes see in reporting of these stories? There, there is that danger, but when something is being overlooked... And this is possible. Mm. I mean, al- we know alcohol is a neurotoxic yes. agent. It is legal. Mm-hmm. It's widely used. There's a lot of people drinking it. Yes, and more and more. Mm. And uh, we know, you know some people are more susceptible to it uh, than mm. others. And unless it, this comes into the attention of the media as well as yeah. the medical yeah. uh, faculty, I mean, it would be, right. uh, you know, it would be a uh, mistake. And if I may say, that for me is really the take-home message of this paper. We don't think about drinking on, a, on the broadness of the scale enough. We certainly don't think about it in the elderly population for a lot of very specific and perhaps ageist reasons. Yes. So you're really saying, as I understand it then, Sushum, that improved attention to this at-risk group is something that we should think about now rather than much later when it's too late. That's right. Absolutely. Sushum, thank you very much for finding the time to talk to us this morning. Thank you for having me.